we have this Sunday and two more Sundays, and we finish with Second Peter. And I, as I was looking at this and studying uh, over the last two weeks, we were with our uh, our our daughter in Colorado last last week, and that was such a blessing for a number of reasons. Number one is that it was 500 degrees here, and it was about 60 there. But we, uh, we went to, uh, to see Anna and Austin before they go off to college, and so we, we were in to celebrate her birthday and my wife's birthday, who was a week ago Saturday. We've celebrated that 39th birthday many times, and uh, we, had, we enjoyed that time together. But as I was studying, I thought about this. I read this passage over and over and over again as I usually do, but even more so uh, in 2 Peter, if you'll open your Bible with me to uh, chapter 3. We start in a new chapter, and I remembered when I was, was uh, two years, is it two years ago we went to the Holy Land? Two years ago, September? Two years ago when we were at the Holy Land, we were on a bus with a group of people you know, all on our tour, good Christian people. And I was talking to this guy who was, uh, he was in charge of uh, a ministry at his church. And he was in charge of getting speakers. And uh, so uh, I didn't know that, but we were talking about a special speaker. I was talking about a speaker that one of my favorite speakers, I'm not going to say the person's name, and I never will, but I said something about how much I liked and enjoyed the speaker and that, that, that he was really a blessing to me and just a great blessing. And the guy said to me, he said, yeah, he always used to be to me too. And I go, okay, what, what do you mean? Well, he said, well, I invited him and, uh, to service and, uh, and he spoke for us uh, and it just, what, it just wasn't very good. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, and he said, I think what he told me is that he just admitted that he Really didn't have time, and so he just mailed it in that day, and um, really didn't spend much time and and uh, preparation. And I, I said that just can't be true. But you know what? And I don't know if that's true or not. And I don't like to talk about things like that. And so I cut the conversation off and just said, "Well, that must have been an anomaly." But I, I have made that commitment before. But I I recommitted myself to that this week, and never ever 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 doing that. The big, I think there's, there's a couple of big sins that I can commit. There's many that I can commit. But there's a couple that I, can, that I can commit real easy if I'm not careful. One of them is that. It's mailing it in and not doing the necessary uh, preparation that the, that the Lord would want me to have. And the second one is to be boring. Um, I, I, do, I think it's a sin to be boring when you talk about God's holy, excited, blessed word. So... Uh, those are the two things I try to guard against. And so as I was reading this passage this week, and I think you'll see the same thing that I see, I, 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 my youngest granddaughter turned 13 on Saturday, which just drives me crazy, but she turned 13. I think she could read the first seven verses of 2 Peter chapter 3 and explain it as well as I could. It, there are some passages of Scripture that are just as obvious as can be. And so if there's ever a chance for me to mail it in, today's the day, and I'm not going to do it. Because I'm going to take this passage, we're going to read through it, I'm going to just point out a couple of things, and then I'm going to take 
the phrase that is in um, verse 3 that says that in the last days, and I'm going to talk about the last days for a few moments. I'm going to talk about the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the day of God, and the day of judgment, and try to put those in some kind of biblical sense to all of us so that we know when we come across that, just get a taste of what that scripture is all about, or that, that, that phrase in the scripture is all about. Peter, he talked about spiritual maturity in the first chapter, he talked about false teachers in the second chapter, and Dennis finished that up last Sunday, and I appreciate Dennis teaching. Where is Dennis? Dennis is somewhere. There he is, on the front row. And I uh, appreciate Dennis handling the lesson last Sunday. He finished up talking about false teachers, and now Peter goes into talking about, in chapter 3, the second coming of Christ, a great, great, great subject. So we're going to talk about that today. I, I was... Uh, how many of you heard of the doomsday clock? You heard of the doomsday clock? If you hadn't, it's a symbol which represents the likelihood of a man-made global catastrophe. Um, it's been maintained since 1947 by the members of the Bulletin of the Atomic uh, Scientists. The clock represents an analogy for the threat of global nuclear war. The hypothetical global catastrophe will happen at midnight on doomsday clock. And then Fox News reported this. I won't say if it's fake news or not, but this is what it said. Doomsday clock reaches two minutes to midnight, closest point to nuclear annihilation since Cold War. The doomsday clock was moved on Tuesday to two minutes to midnight. This was January 25th, 2018. Making the closest the symbolic point of global Armageddon that the clock represents has reached since 1953. Citing President Trump's proactive rhetoric following fellow global powers, North, Korea, uh, <coughs> North Korea's continually continuing nuclear weapon and ballistic missile tests and heightened tensions between the U.S. and Russia, members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists said that the world is the closest it's ever been to nuclear an annihilation. To call the nuclear situation in the world dire is an understatement, Rachel Bronson, the president of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, said at a press conference Thursday in Washington, D.C., it is now two minutes to midnight, the closest the clock has ever been to doomsday, and as close as it was in 1953 at the height of the Cold War. I'm going to tell them, according to Scripture, they don't have a clue when this is going to happen. Not a clue. If anybody tells you they have a clue, they're in trouble because they've just violated a key principle that Jesus said that no man knows the hour. And no man knows the hour but a complex subject of things to come which is the title of a book written by Dwight Pentecost, and Sue got to sit in class and listen to him. Can you believe that? Great book. If you need a book on things to come, uh, get his book, <coughs> Dwight Pentecost. Great book. But there are many things we do understand. Many things. But there's a lot of things that are shrouded in mystery about the order and some of the things that will take place exactly as they will take place in the future. There's no doubt in my mind, after studying it for years and years and years, and hearing every prophetic preacher just about that you can imagine, and one thing I've learned, there are some clear, straightforward things, and then there's some things that are still mysterious. 
the things that are mysterious and that are, we don't know, we're not sure about, is not something that we should break fellowship with someone over. And there's some of you in here that today, you may believe that uh, after we're through at the end, you, you think the order's a little bit different than what we're going to talk about and what we're going to suggest today. That doesn't mean that you uh, are right or wrong or that we can't fellowship with one another. Now, if you don't believe in the virgin birth of Christ or the, that the blood of Christ uh, will cleanse you from sin or that by grace are you saved, then we've got a problem. But don't make the mistake of saying, well, they believe in pre-tribulation rapture, amillennialism, post-millennialism, or mid-trib uh, this. and uh, I mean, there's a name for all of it. Trust me. Right? You studied it, Jim. You know what I'm talking about. That's not a condition of fellowship. Condition of fellowship is do you love Jesus <laughs> and we can fellowship and you believe the Bible. And we, so be careful about that. Some, some things are clear. Jesus, some people predict, at, over the years, predict, try to predict the, the coming of Christ. And they, they always, the problem is they always fail. And you take them all back in history, and I could go over dozens of them. But that's not what we're all about today. Uh, and there, there is a reason Jesus said, no man knows the hour. And I heard James McDonald this week say, and I think he's right. He said, uh, I've decided about the second coming of Christ. He said, I've decided to get off the planning committee and get on the welcoming committee. <laughs> That's a good idea. We, we have enough to do to be on the welcoming committee, don't we? So let's do that. Let's go to verse 1. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate... His, his purpose, all right, gives his purpose real quick. He said, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. He said, I'm trying to stimulate your, your good thinking, your pure minds, clear, straightforward thinking. He said, and I've tried to refresh your memory. And he said, I want to refresh your memory about two things, about what the prophets, the holy, verse 2, I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago, the Old Testament for us, and what our Lord Savior commanded through your apostles. So remember the last few weeks we've said this over and over and over again. This is what the scripture is, com is comprised of, what they said in the, through God's prophets in the Old Testament and through the apostles that we have now as the New Testament. So he said, I want to refresh your memory about it. I want to stir you up to think wholesome thinking, pure thinking, undistracted thinking, and then I want to have you remember a couple of things. Now, it's in, he says this a lot. You look at the first two book, uh, the first and second Peter. He says, "Remember, I want to remind you, remind you, remind you, remind you, over and over and over and over and over again." Why does he say that? This, this is an oral culture. He, they, he didn't say, "Get up and turn to this." I mean, they didn't have. And as a matter of fact, I was I was reading some this week about when they the uh, the making parchments and binding them together, still a couple of hundred years away from when this is written. And so this culture had to hear it. They had to come and hear, and he's reminding them over and over and over and over again. So that makes a lot of sense culturally as well as it's, it's good to be reminded. And he said in, in verse 3, 
most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, what the, underline last days, we'll come back to that. All right, so that's important, very important, we'll come back to that. Last days, scoffers will come. All right, let me ask you a question. Go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you believe we're living in the last days, scripturally? Raise your hand. All right. Uh, how many of you don't think we're in the last days? All right. Some of you don't. So you're halfway. Halfway. How many of you wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said? All right. Uh, you, just, you just raised your hand, so come on. All right. Got you again. Now, that's a good, <clears throat> by the end of the lesson today, maybe one of the things that you can, you can, decide whether or not you feel like biblically are we in the last days I think there's the last days and I think there's the last day we'll talk about that okay now it says they'll come they'll mocking the truth and following their own desires so they will say look at verse 4 they will say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again alright underline that Jesus is coming again if anybody doubts the fact that the scripture teaches that Jesus is coming again, that's pretty clear. Jesus is coming again. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is coming again. Right? All right. Good. You're listening, all right? They say they're scoffing at that, right? And they're laughing at that. And they said, uh, what is the promise that Jesus is coming again? Coming, the word coming, parousia. It's a, it's a familiar word for people who study uh, the words, but, and, and a great guy to, to look at for uh, uh, the understanding of words across the scriptures, a guy named Strong who wrote a concordance, and it's a very, it's a very complete concordance. Here's what he said about when this word is used. The future visible return from heaven of Jesus to raise the dead, hold the last judgment, and set up formally and gloriously the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. All right? That's pretty clear. You put all these scriptures together, that we're going we're to hit a few of them today, but you put them all together, that pretty much sums it up. The parousia is the... the future visible return from heaven of Jesus to raise the dead, to hold the last judgment and set up formally and gloriously the kingdom of God. Now, they're mocking that, these false teachers. They are doing all kinds of, this happened in scripture before. Let me read you other few places it happens. In Jeremiah, his critics mocked him. They said, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. In Jeremiah 17, 15, the Israelites said to Malachi, where is the God of justice? Malachi 2.17. In Ezekiel, God's people said again, they doubted the, the judgment would come. They said, the days go by and every vision comes to nothing. Sound like today. Well, where's the promise of his coming? Where's the promise of his coming? So, remember, they are rejecting what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming in. For, from before the times of our ancestors, everything's the same. Where's the promise? Now remember how serious this is. When someone rejects the coming of Jesus, how serious it is. <clears throat> Sometimes we may think that uh, the coming of Jesus is not that important in Scripture. The main thing is that you get 
you know, you, you get saved, you, you know, you believe in salvation by faith and the coming of Christ, yeah, yeah, that's good. But if they don't believe that, that's okay. No, that's not okay. Not okay. They were rejecting these promises, I, and I have them on your sheet here. Promise of Jesus' second coming. I just put those down from the New Testament. They, they reject John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place to, for you, and if I go, I will what? Come again. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. They're rejecting that. It's all these promises. So they're scoffing at it. They're mocking it. Now let's go ahead and read uh, verses 5 through 7. They deliberately forget, forget that God made the heavens long ago uh, by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water, verse 6, to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. They're saying, well, he's not coming. I mean, God hasn't done anything. God doesn't intervene. Well, God doesn't intervene. Let me give you a couple of examples. God created, created the world, has this, has this dome of uh, the firmament, the water surrounding it, then brought judgment on the world by releasing that from above and from below. So God intervened. There's a couple of occasions, and he will do it again in judgment. So he's saying these are, these are false teachers, uh, scoffers. He said, be thinking straight. Think about this. Jesus said, I will come again. Okay? I will come again. So it's very important to understand that from what Peter was talking about the false teachers. The false teachers did this for, for many reasons, and they do it so today. Why do the false teachers talk about, oh, Jesus is not coming? I mean, come on. Why do you believe that? Why did they say that? Further their hold on the people. Pardon me? It furthered their hold on the people. Furthered their hold on the people. That's right. They got a new crowd. Come, come with us. We don't believe Jesus is coming. So what does that mean? If Jesus is not coming, what can we do? Huh? We can live any way you want to. We read this a few weeks ago. So they can consume it on their own lusts. They can do whatever their lust desires. If Jesus is not coming, you know, party hardy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus is not coming. This is it. This is the end. Oh, God's intervened before. He'll do it again. Now, let's, let's talk about last days. And I, I broke this up in the last days, day of the Lord, and there a little bit of order of events, day of God, day of Christ, day of judgment. I also put this little chart out. Now, this little chart is a mess. I mean, it looks like a mess. It's really not. It's by Clarence Larkin. How many of you have heard of Clarence Larkin before? Some of you may have. Clarence Larkin, you can Google Clarence Larkin. He was a preacher in, um, in the late uh, 1800s. He was a preacher, and he's uh, a Baptist preacher, and he, 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 he did all these charts, and he would go and talk about charts. He has a chart on the judgments. He has a chart on the prophecies. He has a chart on... And they, they help you visualize what could, in the, in the last days, in the, in the second coming of Christ, what could that look like? And it gives you all the scripture. Now, it's very hard to see. You can go on to 
uh, just Google Cl Clarence Larkin charts. If you do that, you go on and you see all of his charts, and they're free, they're not copyrighted, and they, he wants you to, or he didn't, he doesn't want you today, uh, he's in heaven. Uh, but uh, he, um, he, uh, these are all for your learning and growth. But if you look at this, it, sort of, it starts with the ascension of Christ, Christ coming the first time, and then Calvary, and it goes all the way through the end. Now, I'm not going to go over this, but I, this is just uh, uh, extra no charge. Take this home, look at it, and it, it may inspire you to look at some of the other charts because they lay them out. I don't agree quite as much as uh, maybe Schofield and some of these other guys who say this dispensation started on you know, January 1st, uh, AD 33, and it goes from here, and, and uh, okay, I, I do believe God dealt with man in different ages in various ways, and it's important to understand that, but this sort of puts it in a, for those of you that like to think in a linear fashion, this sort of helps you understand that, so that, uh, we're not going to refer to it, but that's just extra. Now, the last days, the time, here, and let me give you Strong's definition first. All right? The last days. Last is, is, is a, a word you need to know. Uh, eschatos. Eschatos. E-S-C-H-A-T-O-S. Uh, it means, uh, let me give you Strong's word for it. The time immediately preceding Christ, or Strong's definition, the time immediately preceding Christ's return from heaven and the consumption of the divine kingdom. That was his definition, pulling all the scriptures together of the last days using that word eschos, which, uh, eschatos, I'm sorry, which it, it means uh, last, interpreted last. We put it into another word with an ology word. That's where we get the word eschatology. You say, well, so what? Well, eschatology is the study of last things or of the future, prophetically. And if you, you go to seminary, or if you go to Bible college, or you go to uh, some extra study, where you'll probably study, have a course called eschatology, where you study future things. And that's where it comes from. Now, say, aren't you glad you came today? You would have never known that if you didn't come today. I hope that's not the only reason that you came today. Where does, it all, where does all of this start, the last days? Are we living in the last days? Form an opinion based on Scripture. Last days is used a lot, okay, in Scripture. I've got it written down for you, I think. Yes, the first occurrence is in Genesis chapter 49, the days to come. Jacob's prophetic blessing on his sons, and his sons become the, uh, are, are the tribes of Israel, represent the tribes of Israel, as you can easily read. So 49.1, that kicks us off on last things, things to come, the last days. Then um, Daniel chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 10, verse 14, you have the last days being referred to as the end of Gentile nations. Now, you know, Daniel gets this vision of all of the, uh, of the uh, empires Okay, the Roman Empire, before that the Greek Empire, and the Babylonian, the Medes, and the Persians, those empires. He gets that, and then he talks about the end of Gentile rule. Now, those empires are all gone. Some people believe the Roman Empire will come back right before the end. I, you know, I don't know. I can't interpret that. Some people say that that's 
Iraq, and I heard someone, someone say that that's Iran, and all these kind of different, uh, we don't know. But we do know that the Gentile powers will continue to dominate the world, Gentile versus the Jewish uh, rule. So right now the world is primarily ruled Gentile rule as opposed to Jewish rule. It'll, someday that will end. Someday that will end. When that ends, Jesus comes to the earth and establishes his millennial kingdom. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So the last days, if you read in Daniel, you'll read about the end of the Gentile nations. That's the last days, the end of the Gentile nations. All right. Most frequently in the Old Testament, on your, on your uh, uh, worksheet here, most frequently the Old Testament refers to Israel's final rebellion against God. Now, uh, that's important. Deuteron I'll just give you the scripture. We don't have time to read them all. And uh, uh, we'll come back and pick up some that I want you to read in just a moment. It's a, it most frequently refers to this season of trouble to Israel, their final rebellion, followed by the return to the Lord, of the Israel returning to the Lord. It's great to go to the Holy Land and to sit as we sit. And some of you have been, you know what I'm talking about. And to look and say that someday Jesus will return to this very spot. And the nations, including the nation of Israel, say, yes, he is our Messiah. That's what happens in the last days, okay? The last day of the last days. New Testament, twice used for the period of history introduced by the advent of Christ. Who's got Hebrews 1, 2? Important. Listen to this verse. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also he, he made the universe. Okay. The first part of what he read. But in these what? Last days, the last days, that's what we're talking about. He has spoken to us by his son, right? And then he said, he appointed heir of all things and through whom he had made the universe. The last days he's spoken through his son. So it began with the advent, the coming of Jesus, right? That makes sense? All right, also, okay, First Peter 1, did I give First Peter 1.20 to somebody? Or we just look at ourselves? Did I give it to somebody? I don't want to take your verse. Okay. I know where 1 Peter is because it's a book over. Turn over to 1 Peter 1, verse 20. Now, that's important. We're not going to look at all these verses, but look at 1 Peter 1, 20. It says, He, Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world. Now, what does this last part say? But was revealed when? In these what? Last times. For your sake, through whom you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. All right, so when did the last days <clears throat> start, according to those two verses? When Jesus came. Frequently used at the end of the church age, departure from the faith, rampant sin, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Did I give that to somebody? Danny, read that for me. Now listen to this and see what this sounds like to you. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. When? Last days. And when, everybody, when? Last days. All right, go ahead, Danny. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, 
rash, conceited, <coughs> lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Okay. Does that help some of us think we might be in the last days? Because it gets worse, right? You look over history, it gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. Now, I, I do believe there'll be a, a apostasy, and we're not going to go into that verse of Scripture, but there will be a major falling away from what we would call Christian today, Christians, Christian denominations, Christian believers, supposedly believers, who will apostatize, who will turn away before Jesus returns to the earth. The rapture of the church, Jesus coming. There's a lot of discussion about these two events. I believe they're separate events. Both can be called the second coming of Christ. I believe the rapture of the church We'll read it in a moment, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says we will be caught, we'll meet him in the air. The church is raptured, we are translated. Then there's the second coming of Jesus when he comes where? To the earth and sets up his kingdom. I believe those are separate events. Both can be called the second coming of Christ. So you say, well, I don't believe that. That's okay. We can still fellowship together. It's all right if you're wrong. doesn't matter. <laughs> No, it's, 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 uh, it's, a good, it's a good study. It really is. It's a good study. Bottom line, what I'm trying to say is that it gets into this study of imminence. Imminence. The imminence. I heard someone talk about it this week. The imminent return of Christ. What does that mean? Uh, I, I, it's going to happen. Now, some people believe, and I'm going to get way off track here if I start talking about this. Some people believe that eminence means it could happen in our next breath. Some people means eminence means it can happen this week, it can happen in our lifetime, it can happen in this generation. I don't know. Uh, and I don't think it's worth uh, splitting hairs over. I believe that the reasons, the verse of scripture that we have about eminence means be prepared. Get on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. Okay? All right. That's all I'm going to say about that. I, I, I got to keep going. Last thing, we've got to look at this, though. What did Jesus say specifically? Everything that the, in the Bible Jesus said. But let's look at what he said in his ministry while he was here on earth. Turn to John chapter 6 with me. Let's just read four or five verses. What did Jesus say about the last days? And, I, and trust me, this is, the, this is the big part of the lesson, all right? Okay, we're not going to do as much on the day of the Lord. We're not, okay, some of you are getting scared. John chapter 6, verse 39. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, which is a great truth. We'll study that in a few weeks. But will raise them up when? At the last day. At the last day. Ooh, last day of the last days. What's he talking about there? He's talking about resurrection, Right? I will raise them up at the last day. Go on to the next verse. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up when? At the last day. Okay? Um, yes, sir. Is this, is this the resurrection of the saints that have died? Mm. Not necessarily. That's not Great question. Great question. I knew somebody was going to ask that question. Um, there is a, 
I've got it here somewhere. There's another chart that I'm going to suggest that you get. Uh, go on Google uh, Clarence Larkin and, and, and Google his chart on the resurrections. And it shows there's a resurrection of the saved, there's a resurrection of the unsaved. All right? The resurrection of the saved, resurrection of the unsaved. What about the saved that don't get, who get saved after the resurrection of the saved? That's a whole other story. I think Jesus is talking about very clearly here, I will raise him up, I will raise the Christian up, the ones who believe, I will raise them up at the last day. So the Bible does say there's a first resurrection, there's a second resurrection. Um, so I, I believe he's talking about the first resurrection. All right. Okay, a lot of stuff here, guys. Hang with me. Um, I, I know, I bit off too much. Uh, okay, get over it, folks. All right. Verse uh, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up when? At the last day. So Mike, what does that verse say? Who's he talking about? Talking about saved. It's obvious, those he's drawn, he has saved. Talking about this, the resurrection of the saved. And you know, I, I remember as a kid hearing many times at funerals, you know, standing there and the guy, uh, you know, the, the pastor there speaking, he said, and they always pray the same kind of prayer, and uh, pray that you would uh, take him in the general resurrection of the saved and the lost. And I said, what in the world is he talking about? A general resurrection. I said, I thought the Bible said there's more than one resurrection. Well, it's because there is more than one resurrection. I don't think Larkin shows it on that one that I gave you. He doesn't show the second resurrection, but uh, look it up, okay? And it's, 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 it's a good study. It's a great study. We don't have time for it today. Day of the Lord. Day of the Lord. When God openly intervenes in the affairs of men. Uh, in judgment and blessing. Day of judgment that climaxes with the return of Christ to the earth. Uh, uh, Old Testament prophets spoke about it. Enoch, uh, it, of course we, he, they record that in Jude verse 14 and 15, but Enoch Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Joel, Amos, Zephaniah, and Zechariah all talk about the day of the Lord. It includes the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. What is the time of Jacob's trouble? What is that called? What do we call that today? The tribulation period. Tribulation period is how long? Seven years. It's divided into a two, two periods, a three and a half year and a three and a half year period. A lot of people believe that that last half is the great tribulation. And then that would be uh, a part. That would be the day of the Lord. That period of time includes the. Uh, sorry, Jesus teaches about the day of the Lord in the Olivet Discourse. Read on Mount of Olives. Jesus talked chapter twenty four, chapter twenty five. Read the message, and you'll see Jesus is talking about the day of the Lord. Paul spoke of it in First and Second Thessalonians. John talked about it in Revelation chapter six, verse nineteen. The whole thing is about the day of the Lord. He will. Again, using this definition, it will begin with the rapture of the church and will terminate with the cleansing of the heavens and earth before bringing into being the new heavens and the new earth. Day of the Lord. He said, well, let's talk about that. I'd love to, but we, we're out of time. Let me give you the order of events. Order of events. Here, this is a suggested order of events for those of you engineering and accounting types in here who have to have an order like I do, and I'm not either one of those, the engineering, but I like an order. So I'm going to use uh, C.I. Schofield, great Bible teacher, 
Some of you have a Schofield Bible, and if you have a Schofield Bible, you'll find this. I've paraphrased it a little bit. Here's a possible order of events, okay? I'm just going to read through it. And there's uh, there are a couple of you got things to read today, and you're not going. We're not going to have time to read them because I'm out of time. Order of events. Here's possible: the rapture of the church. Rapture of the church. That's us, folks. People who have been born again. The imminent rapture of the church. Here's where you get over, uh, have a little bit of discussion when you talk about the rapture of the church about imminence. Can it happen? It, are there some signs that have to take place before the rapture of the church? And you can argue about that. Uh, I don't think it's worth arguing about because, again, we're not on the planning committee. We're on the what committee? The welcoming committee. So be prepared. The rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church, the church is taken out. Every believer. Yes, ma'am. Can you define rapture of the church? Rapture of the church, yes. Uh, who's got 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Did I give that out? Here's the definition of the rapture of the church. Read it, uh, Beth. Pardon me? Is that okay for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. They're not, but I'm good. I'm good with it. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about those people who have died. We don't want you to be sad like other people, people who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died, but we believe that Jesus rose again. So, because of Jesus, God will bring together with Jesus those people who have died. What we tell you now is the Lord's own message. We who are living now might still be living when the Lord comes again. We who are living at that time will be with the Lord, but not before those people who have already died. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. There will be a loud command. That command will be given with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the people who have died and were in Christ will rise first. After that, we people who are still alive at that time will be gathered up with those people who have died. We will be taken up in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. So comfort each other with these words. Okay. All right. That's, that's, that's the rapture of the church. A person dies today, what happens to them? Body goes to the ground. Spirit goes to, to be with Jesus immediately. Immediately. The scripture says it over and over and over again. So there's an immediate fellowship with Jesus upon the death of a Christian. Yes, sir. Okay. Goes to be with Jesus. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? As far as we know, you know what we know from Scripture, we say Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. He lives in our heart. Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. So what's, what's going to be resurrected? The body? The body. The body. The body. Yeah, the miraculous, uh, the miraculous resurrection when the body and the spirit may we have a new body. We have the glorified body, and God makes us a new body. Now, we we could talk a long time about that, Mike. You don't have to be sorry. I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to make an excuse for how long I'm talking. But I pondered because we're thinking about cremation. Yeah, good question. Answer. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have any difficulty, any problem understanding cre uh, cremation anymore. I used to. I used to wonder about. It. I, I, I've heard people, good people, who say, "I believe it. I don't believe it's right. You know, I don't think it's right. How are going to resurrect it?" Well, you know, what about those people that died, you know, two thousand years ago? Uh, there's nothing left. They're just ashes. 
It's not any different than ashes today. It's ashes is ashes. Nothing. Huh? He made us from nothing. He made us How from nothing. How hard is it for That's him exactly. to pull us out of anything? There you go. It, it's a miracle. The resurrection, we can't lose sight of the fact that the resurrection, the rapture church, it's all miraculous. It doesn't fit into our th way of thinking. So, well, he's got to get, did he miss the arm bone? Uh, got to put that one back in there. That, that doesn't relate to what scripture tells us. We'll have a new body, be glorified, body and soul. And, you know, you can go into many things that talk about when we recognize each other and all of that. And, and I believe we will, um, but that's another study. But yes, I, I don't think there's any issues about, what about the people who were martyred? And many of them burned at the stake. You know, well, how's he going to pick up all those ashes? <laughs> you know, our finite mind doesn't grasp it. So it's not a study on cremation because um, I don't really know a good answer for that other than it'll be miraculous and um, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you know Christ, you'll be with him and he'll, he'll make it right, whatever it's supposed to be. He, he can do that since he created it out of nothing, right? All right. Yes, ma'am. Now, before y'all start griping at me now, this, all these questions have added at least 30 seconds to the lesson. All right? There's a good book by Randy Alcorn. Yeah, perfect, perfect heaven. book. Great book. Heaven. It is. Have you ever read that book, Mike? Get, get that. Get that book. Sally can tell you about it. We, that's a great book. We, we've, we've read a lot of that book. Together, we've, it, it, it's a very meaningful book, especially when you have somebody that's just gone to heaven. It's a very meaningful book. Amen? All right, I got to go ahead. Okay, okay, let me just read the rest of it. Um, the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year tribulation period, Daniel 9. Okay, that's the tribulation period. Daniel talked about it, very specific. It's also in Revelation chapter 6 all the way through verse 19. Details. The return of the Lord in glory to establish the millennial kingdom, Matthew 24, 29 through 30. The destruction of the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet and their armies at the end of the Great Tribulation period. The judgment of individual Gentiles according to their treatment of Christ's brethren, the Jewish people, Zechariah 14, Matthew 25, and the judgment of Israel, Ezekiel 20. Then the millennial reign of Christ on earth, 1,000 years set up, and Christ returns to the earth, sets up his millennial reign. The revolt of Satan and judgment. The resurrection and final judgment of the wicked. Uh, did I get one of them out of order, Mike? Mike's man, I got one of them out of order, and he's leaving. <laughs> okay, good. I, was thought, I thought I got one out of order, and he said, okay, that's it. I'm done. All right, the destruction. Okay, so he sets up, I'm sorry, this sets up the millennial reign of Christ on earth, thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. We will rule and reign with him. The revolt of Satan and the judgment at the end of that period of time, the resurrection and final judgment of the wicked. There's the other resurrection. Okay. There's the other resurrection, first resurrection. We, we've already covered that. The destruction of the present. So what about the people who get saved in the tribulation period? Boy, y'all ask good questions. We're not going to talk about that today. The resurrection and final judgment of the wicked, the destruction of the present earth and heaven by fire, preparatory for the future day of God. That's in next week's lesson, chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. The creation of the new heavens and the new earth Isaiah 65, 66, 2 Peter 3, 13, Revelation 21, 1. Uh, the doomsday guys will finally say, oh, that's when the clock should have gone off. All right? The day of God, 2 Peter 
2 Peter 3.12, when God's people enjoy the new heavens and the new earth when all evil has been judged. 2 Peter 3.12, since we're already there, just look at it. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. All right? We're enjoying uh, the millennial reign with Jesus. And then the day of Christ relates to the coming of Christ for his church, a period of blessing for the church beginning with the rapture. This coming is also referred to as the day of the Lord uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, the day of the Lord Jesus in 2 Corinthians 1, the day of Christ Jesus in Philipp, uh, Philippians 1, 6, and the day of Christ in Philippians 1, 10 and 2, 16. And the last one is the day of judgment, which refers to the final judgment of Revelation uh, chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, the final and eternal judgment of the wicked. And if I close with that, uh, I would be unhappy. So everybody turn to Revelation 22. We're going to read two verses and we're done. Revelation 22, <coughs> verse 20. He who testifies to these things says... Yes, I am coming soon. That's what eminence means. I am coming soon. Amen, John says. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we try to cover what we think is important and yet there's so much more. I pray that it would whet our appetite for more, learning more of your word. Thank you for the promise that you come. And as John said, we pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. All right. Tammy, let's uh, do prayer.